Hi, everyone. This is NBC10 Boston's Countdown to Decision 2022, where we break down the biggest political news leading up to Election Day. We're 18 days out. I'm your host, Mary Marcos. I'm here today with our in-house experts, Allison King and Sue O'Connell, and special guest, Fergus Cullen, a Dover City Councilor and former head of the New Hampshire GOP. Today's episode is centered around New Hampshire's Senate and congressional races. Let's start with Maggie Hassan. Sue, get us up to date on what's been happening in the Senate race. Well, you know, Maggie Maggie Hassan won, and 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 Fergus, you'll correct me if I'm I'm wrong here, and Allison, but you know, she won the last time by just a few votes. And although New Hampshire's not a huge state and there's not a lot of voters, uh, it did represent. And 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 New Hampshire is. I hate sometimes saying it's purple because New Hampshire voters tend to have their own drum and their own beat and they pick candidates based on the values and the ideals and the goals that the candidates are presenting. And they're also a very engaged electorate because of having the first primary presidential primary in the nation. You rarely run into anyone, anyone in New Hampshire who doesn't have uh, an opinion or is definitely going to vote or is engaged in the process. So I just want to set that stage for folks who may not be paying attention. And Maggie Hassan won uh, the Senate seat last time by I don't, what, what was it, Fergus and Allison? A just, just over, just over a thousand votes, literally, just over a thousand. I forgot it was that close. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, here we are entering um, this mid-term uh, election. This Senate seat, the Senate seats uh, federally are staggered, so that you're not always voting to completely replace the Senate each time. Uh, and her seat is up for re-election. Uh, and um, you know, I mean, she's, it's, a, it's a race for her life right now, uh, which I think folks didn't really expect to see. Again, to remind folks, the Senate is split 50 Democrats and 50 Republicans with uh, Kamala Harris, vice president, casting any tie-breaking votes. The problem has been, of course, for Democrats, Kristen Cinema Sim- and um, uh, uh, Joe Manchin, who are uh, I'll probably get heat for this. Moderate Democrats. Some people don't see them that way, although they do vote with Biden a majority of the time. Uh, so the, the Democrats are looking to pick up more seats so that they can hopefully hold on to the House and then get uh, more Biden and the Democrats agenda passed. So this seat is really a hot seat right now. Yeah, I, I just actually was covering Don Bolduck for a profile that's going to air tonight. I was there up in New Hampshire Tuesday, and next week I'll cover Maggie Hassan's race. Um, and Don Bolduck is trailing Hassan, according to the polls, by about seven points. So you might think, oh, you know, Maggie Hassan's going into this pretty strong. But a lot can happen in these three weeks. And I got to tell you, Don Bolduck is an excellent candidate. He's super high energy. He's um, when I saw him on Tuesday, he was with Nikki Haley. Um, And, you know, if I were running in a Republican primary, I'd want Nikki Haley out there uh, campaigning for me. She was amazing. Um, You know, just showering praise on Don Bolduck. Um, And of course, if you've been following the race, you know that Don Bolduck had certain positions in the primary um, have relative to whether the election was stolen, mm-hmm. thought it was, um, on abortion, on Medicare and privatizing Social Security. He's backed off significantly. Now, you know, we all know this happens. This is the way the game is played. But in this go around, it's just been an extremely stark um, turnaround going from literally almost like one day saying the election was stolen. Donald Trump won 
to the next day saying, I've thought about this and I've changed my mind on it. And, you know, I think voters see through a lot of that. But, you know, I think put it all together. I would be a little nervous if I was Maggie Hassan, even with that seven point lead. Yeah. And Mary, I would love to ask him what evidence he unearthed about the uh, the election that suddenly made him change his mind after he has been so vehement that the election was stolen. I think the evidence was that he can't win in New Hampshire unless he uh, says the, the election process was legitimate. <laughs> Maybe. Fergus, what do you think? Well, uh, it's true. And he's had trouble keeping the same answer on this question, even subsequent to his uh, 180 pivot on the issue. Look, he spent three years running for U.S. Senate. He ran last time around, did well in the primary, but did not win it. So he spent three years just talking to Republican primary voters. You spend that much time talking to the same kinds of like-minded people, you start to think maybe that that's a more mainstream view than it is across the general election. Uh, but uh, he has had trouble uh, articulating exactly what his position is on it. Look, Occam's razor uh, prevails here. The most simple explanation is the one that's most likely to be true. He does believe that there was fraud and that the election was stolen. He recognizes that's just not a winning position in a general election anymore. So we just talked about voter fraud. What, what are the, some other issues that you think might sway voters one way or another since it's a little tighter than you know you might have expected this race uh, to be? Fergus, what do you think? Well, I think Sue did a good job of setting the stage. Like it's a competitive environment to start with. You know, Don Baldick shows up with 45% just for being on the ballot. Maggie Hassan has really struggled to, she has not gotten over 50% in any polls. In my view, she genuinely has been a very mediocre member of the Senate. There are 100 U.S. senators. They can't all be above average. She's clearly a below average senator. She has not distinguished herself in her first term. She's really been in the shadow of Jean Shaheen, New Hampshire's senior senator for that time. Uh, but here she is. She's a U.S. senator. The Republicans have mediocre members of their caucus as well. And she did barely get elected uh, uh, six years ago by just over 1,000 votes in a presidential year. Now, she's running in an environment where the Biden administration is not popular, where there's a lot of concern about the about inflation and economic anxiety. In addition to that, New Hampshire, this is an off year, not a presidential election. And New Hampshire has had wave elections dominated by one party every single off year election dating back to 1994. It tends to be either all Democrats or all Republicans. So she should be nervous. And I think she is running like somebody who does not have this race in the bag. And I will say, Mary, that um, what she, you're talking about issues, the issue I think she's hanging her hat on to a certain degree is the whole abortion issue um, and hoping that that pushes her over the finish line. She is um, a pro-choice, Don Bolduck pro-life. Um, Don Bolduck had taken, a, again, a more strident position in the primary. He's kind of pulled back on that position and, and sort of moderated and saying, I'm not going to do anything to change anything that exists right now. Um, but Hassan is really hoping that the, uh, you know, the, pro the pro-choice voters in, in New Hampshire uh, rally around this issue and get out and vote, you know, simply on that alone would be a help for her if that's what she's hoping for. And Mary, I would say there's also another sort of wild card is there is a third a third candidate on the ticket, the libertarian candidate, Jeremy Kaufman. I have no information on him or if he's got any traction at all. But we do know that, uh, you know, oftentimes a third candidate mucks things up a little bit. So we don't know if that's going to help or hurt each of the other candidates, but 
we'll certainly know that when the election's over, if we, we see that some of those voters could have gone to the candidate who ends up uh, losing. And I would underscore, you know, I'm, I have a number of dinner bets made that I believe that um, the Democrats are going to pick up seats in the Senate and they're going to hold the House. And um, I know that the Republican. Um, hey, can, hey, can I get it? Can I get in on that? bet? <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it right here. Um, you know, I believe that the um, the, the re Republican status look at saying, well, this abortion issue isn't that big a deal or uh, the, the, the midterm elections, which to both Angus and Allison's point, always always go the other way. If you're a Republican, they go Democrat. If you're a Republican president, they go Democrat. If you're a Democrat president, they go Republican. That is historically 100% accurate. But I think there is a very um, quiet, resolved rage among uh, women, especially over the age of 40, who may not be out protesting, may not be door knocking, but they're definitely going to go to the polls and they're definitely going to vote for Democrats. And I also think that there's a... Um, uh, an apathy of of uh, of Republican voters over 40 who just don't like their choices and are not, not going to vote at all. They might go to the ballot box, but they might blank their choice because they can't bear to vote for a Democrat. So they just won't vote for a Republican. So um, I'm predicting you're going to see a lot more blanks across the country in Senate races. Uh, you know, and I know I'm out in the limb for the for the for the congressional race, but I really think what you've got a backbone of people who understand and with Biden making this late announcement last week that they would codify uh, Roe Roe uh, on the anniversary of Roe in January if the if the Democrats hold the House and the Senate, I think that's hitting into a resolve here. Um, and you know uh, the, the 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 statement that um, that uh, he Bullock made uh, a few weeks ago uh, campaigning saying that the gentlemen uh, make, leave it on the state level. The gentlemen are taking care of this. I'm paraphrasing him. I think that's the kind of thing that some of us over a certain age really don't want to hear anymore. And some of us under a certain age certainly can't imagine that person representing us in, in, in the Senate. So we'll see what happens. Uh, anything can happen in New Hampshire. Um, but I, that's, uh, I look forward to you taking me, Angus. Um, to, I have a nice restaurant in Wolfboro I like. So we can... <laughs> Great Wolfboro Inn, I recommend it. In uh, Wolf's Tavern, a great place right. to go. I watched one of the Red Sox games when they won the 2004 World Series in that place. That'd be a great place too. <laughs> one other thing I want to say about the about this race too, and I'm stealing some reporting from Politico that I was reading today, but um, and I have heard about this. I heard about it on Tuesday as well. Don, you know, Don Baldock's being questioned about his support of Mitch McConnell. And interestingly, he says he would not vote for Mitch McConnell, but he's happy to take the $23 million that his Senate leadership fund is giving him. And he needs it because Maggie Hassan has raised about, um, I wrote this down, $9.6 million she's raised to Bullduck's 972000 in the past three months. He does not have the kind of money to run this race without that Senate help. So somehow he's been able to run against Mitch McConnell or, you know, sort of not running against him, but said he wouldn't vote for him and yet take the money. And he's been able to balance that. Um, you know, I don't know whether that'll come back to haunt him in any way going into the final stretch. I don't well, know. What so, thinks. Here, here's a, here's a counter dinner bet for Sue that in the event Don Baldick wins this election, he'll do a 180 on the Mitch McConnell issue <laughs> even faster than he did on election denial. I, I, I agree <laughs> with you on that. 
Um, not... Allison, but Allison raises a really good point. I mean, Don Bodlick has not been able to raise any resources on his own. He is a welfare case as far as the Senate Coral Committee is concerned. They have propped up his candidacy for the last four months, four weeks rather, and they need to uh, because it's a competitive race. Um, and so if Don Bodlick does win, he will have Mitch McConnell to thank for that because he has no resources of his own to promote his own message or to defend himself against attacks. Uh, he is a cork on the ocean going wherever the tide will will take him on that front. Um, you know, one of the benefits of, or liabilities of being in a competitive state with a competitive nationally watched race is there's a lot of polling going on. I was surveyed not once but twice last night. And interesting, one of the surveys asked this question, I'm paraphrasing, but which of these issues is more important to you? The pro-life, pro-choice issue and Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision or inflation and rising prices and economic anxiety. So it's forced you to make a choice between those two. So it's possible to be very concerned about abortion rights and also to be very concerned about the economy. So most Republican candidates are hoping that most voters are gonna be more concerned about pocketbook issues and their own household finances than they are about uh, the abortion issue. We'll see. The Democrats are betting that it's the other way around. Fergus, can I ask you, do you, do you think that um, uh, Governor Chris Sununu, who's up for re-election and will most likely get re-elected, do you think he's really kicking himself that he didn't enter the Senate race? Because I think if it were a Sununu-Hassan race, it would be uh, Senator, uh, Senator Sununu. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Sue. The race would really not be very competitive. Governor Sununu would defeat uh, Maggie Hassan. But I don't think he's kicking himself because it was clear he did not want to be a U.S. senator. You know, what if, God forbid, you win? You know, you get to go down to Washington in a tough environment where you don't really get to do anything. He's used to being a chief executive. Uh, and then you become a member of a committee where you can't really do anything. I mean, he's, I think he, I take him at his word that he really didn't want to be a senator. Let's remember his brother, John Sununu, was a U.S. senator as well. So he's had that insight into what the job actually is. Um, I'm sure that uh, if the uh, Republicans come up a seat or two short in taking the majority, this will be one of the races that they wish they'd gotten their number one draft pick and they didn't. And, and let's also acknowledge that the Democrats worked hard to pick their nominee on the Republican side. They spent a huge amount of money late support attacking Chuck Morse, who was one of the other Republicans running in the primary. For disclosure, I did support Morse in that primary. And they wanted to run against Don Baldick because they hoped he would be a weaker opponent in the general. I think they were right. They got their wish, but sometimes these might backfire on them because some of these folks are going to end up getting elected across the country. And speaking of Chris Sununu and switcheroos, remember Chris Sununu called Don Bolduck uh, not a serious candidate, and he was quite disdainful of him in the primary. Now, fast forward post-primary, he's an amazing person. And he's got Sununu's endorsement. So obviously, you know, who knows what his true feelings are. I think we probably have a pretty good idea. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on now to New Hampshire's uh, first congressional district race. Uh, Fergus, can you just give us a, a, for those of us who may not have been up to date on the race, like what's been happening, a brief summary of what's been going on? Sure. So this is the district that includes Manchester, New Hampshire, the Seacoast, Portsmouth, and goes up to the Mount Washington Valley. 
It is one of the very few genuinely competitive congressional districts in the country. It has switched party control several times this century. We have had incumbents of both parties be defeated in this race. So the incumbent is Democrat Chris Pappas, who is uh, about 40 years old. He is seeking his third term. He is from Manchester. And the Republican nominee, a little bit of a surprise, is Caroline Levitt, a 25-year-old political newcomer who won her primary in a bit of an upset. She is a former junior uh, Trump administration staffer who stayed also uh, for, on Elise Stefanik's staff in the House for about long enough to have a cup of coffee. Uh, but she had worked in that office as well. And uh, she won the nomination as being the Trumpiest candidate in a field filled with Trumpy candidates. Uh, she is a full-throated election denier, among other things. But she finds herself in a very competitive race. Chris Pappas uh, finds himself in, in, in a situation that really, again, is not really in his control, that the national uh, tide is probably going to affect the outcome of this race a great deal. Are you surprised that that race is running neck and neck, almost a statistical? Well, it is in a statistical mm -hmm. tie. Does that surprise you, Fergus? Well, uh, that it would be competitive, no. I mean, it was only, I think, a five or six point race last time around yeah. in, uh, in not as great an environment. I'm certain that Chris Pappas was expecting to be uh, in a very tough uh, situation this whole time, prepared accordingly. Um, but, uh, you know, the fact is the Republican rec candidate has, you know, no record to shoot at aside from her statements in, in, uh, the primary contest, mm -hmm. uh, she is quite conservative and she's been again, full-throated Trump backer. Trump, let's remember, lost New Hampshire by about 10 points. That's not necessarily a winning place to be in a general election. Uh, but this is a nationally targeted race with huge amounts of money coming in from outside. Yeah, so I... Just, just, I want to just say quickly, having covered um, Caroline Levitt, you cannot discount that woman. I mean, yeah. yes, she's young. She looks like a college student in many respects. But let me tell you, she is about the most confident politician on the campaign trail I have ever covered. Wow. <laughs> she's extremely articulate. And she, you know, whether you like her positions or not, she is an excellent campaigner. Sue, so what's your take on this race? Well, I think it's dangerous for America. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is this is the race. These are the types of races that we are looking at, both um, governor's races like in Arizona with Carrie Lake, uh, races for secretaries of state. You know, all across the nation, we have people who are full-throated, as Fergus said, denying the results of the last presidential election. And if they get elected, and certainly some of them will get elected, uh, I think it takes us one step closer to the diminishing of our democratic process and our democracy. I mean, I agree with Allison. She's a, she's a very smart um, candidate. She definitely has a bright future as, as someone who um, knows how to, how to politic. And um, I, she may or may not believe what she's saying. But, um, you know, if these candidates like her get elected, uh, they will go to Washington, D.C., and they will tarnish um, what our electoral process is. And if enough of them get into position where they can do things to um, how we vote, we can pretty much start saying goodbye to early voting, vote by mail. Uh, we may find ourselves in 10 years back to voting with a pencil or a pen and, and a, a piece of paper and counting them that way. Uh, and so I'm, I'm worried about elections like this, especially because she is such a good candidate. I mean, 
um, you know, we can we can admire her, or I can admire her uh, her ability to to connect with voters and and be articulate and be a bright star. But I think she's dangerous for democracy, and I can say that because I'm an opinion commentator. So hold your emails. That's what I get hired to say. So it's okay. <laughs> That's well, why we're having on Sue. <laughs> and Sue, you know, I, I might surprise you. I agree with you, at least in part. We've had a number of members of Congress in the last couple of years. Madison Crawthorn is one of them. Uh, Lauren Bobbert from Colorado. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, a couple of the ones from Florida who really don't seem to be in the business of being members of Congress. They're in the celebrity business. Yeah. They're, they're just waiting between hits on Fox News and going to uh, right-wing conferences mm -hmm. and traveling around the country uh, rabble rousing. And, uh, you know, I do think there's nothing I've seen from Caroline Levitt that suggests she wouldn't be that kind of member of Congress right. were she to get elected. But uh, but we'll see. Lauren Gilbert has been up in New Hampshire campaigning for her. As she has, as have every, Green has not. But uh, Cawthorn was up here about a year ago on behalf of Levitt. Mm -hmm. Ironically, of course, he then lost the primary, will not be run, returning to uh, to Congress in January. Fergus, do you have a sense on where New Hampshire voters are leaning generally in both of these races? Well, I mean, I do think Hassan was successful in picking her nominee and in a close race that's probably worth two or three points. Uh, and that could be, you know, the difference. Um, so I think she's definitely favored uh, and she's been very fortunate in this campaign. She avoided getting the first round draft pick as an opponent. She then got uh, a weaker opponent in the general than she might have otherwise had. Um, this does, you know, I will say, you know, for what's worth, I live in Dover, New Hampshire. I'm a member of the city council there. It's not a metropolis, but it's the fifth largest community in New Hampshire. And just objectively, Maggie Hassan has been invisible as an elected official. I have literally not seen her in person since she was elected. And COVID is no excuse for that. You know, this is a small state. People expect you to be at Chamber of Commerce events, community civic events, parades. You know, I'm thinking about the uh, 20th anniversary of 9-11 a year ago. You know, Gene Shaheen was here for the event. Chris Pappas was here for the event. Maggie Hassan was not. Um, so she, she's very she's been lucky, I think, uh, this year. And it may be enough. But I come back to that fact that New Hampshire has been very affected by national tides in off-year elections for almost three decades now. Every single one has gone all one way or all the other. And that's gonna make any Democrat incumbent very nervous this year. Absolutely. So speaking of national races to Allison, can you tell us some national races? And, and Fergus, if you have any to weigh in on that, we'd love your thoughts as well. Um, some national races that, that you're following closely right now. Um, Sue, do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, I think I sent you an email. I'm actually more obsessed this morning with Liz Truss and the Tory leadership issue in uh, Great Britain and how a head of lettuce actually uh, outlived her um, her reign, if you will. That there's a, uh, a, a newspaper that uh, did a live stream of a head of lettuce and a picture of Liz Truss started it a little bit ago and said, which one do you think will last longer? And the head of lettuce apparently did as she is uh, leaving her position. I don't pretend to understand how uh, British politics work, but um, you know, turmoil at Great Britain always in, in Europe always impacts the United States. And uh, you've got the death of the queen and the Commonwealth uh, on, on the precipice, especially with Scotland. And now uh, one, one Twitter poster 
said that uh, his six-month-old son has seen more change in Great Britain than uh, he has in his entire lifetime. So uh, obviously, we're not voting on that, so I'm not that concerned about it. But I am paying a lot of attention to the Pennsylvania Senate race with uh, uh, Senator Warnick and um, Herschel Walker. I think for those of us who are not in Georgia, we do not understand what a huge deal Herschel Walker is to that state, what a celebrity he is, what an icon he is. Uh, and again, this is another one of those races that if Herschel Walker actually gets elected, um, and again, it's a runoff race, so they have to get 51% of the vote. So it may not be over until January, depending on how it goes. But that's a race that I'm watching really carefully as a bellwether, not just for this year, but but for the future of the future of America. That's my new moniker, the future of America. <laughs> yeah, Georgia is a great one, of course. And um, Pennsylvania with Mehmet Oz and, and Fetterman. I mean, I think the whole thing with his having a stroke and I mean, you cannot make this stuff up and where this is all going is. But the one I'm kind of super interested in this week is, um, which I hadn't really followed at all, was is Ohio with Tim Ryan and J.D. Vance in part because I've seen some of the clips of um, some some debates and Tim Ryan was seemed to be on fire and just mm -hmm. doing an outstanding job. Now, I some of the clips that I saw, I didn't get to see J.D. Vance responding and I would have liked to have heard that. And did he have a really great response? I'm not sure. I just thought, wow, I'm surprised that the National Party isn't putting more into that race because it it's, I think the gap is closed and, you know, they kind of thought, oh, J.D. Vance has this in Ohio. Let's not invest. And I wonder if they're, they're, they're rethinking that now. Great. One other question I had for you guys was um, whether whether Biden's uh, codification of Roe comments might do anything to keep Democrats hopes of retaining one or both chambers of Congress intact. What do you guys think about that? So, Mary, this is part of my secret plan that I think is happening. The reason. Um, you know, you would have thought that if Joe Biden was worried about some Senate races, instead of making the announcement in Washington, D.C., where he did, he would have gone on the road and made some announcements um, and, and, and done it there, like gone to gone to Georgia, come to New Hampshire and made the announcement. Um, so that is sort of and plus it also keeps Joe Biden on script. So he's not on the road saying saying Joe Biden things um, out loud that are in his head that may or may not be true, uh, which he's done forever. It just once oh. the age hit. It's, it's been true forever. He happily told us we were getting same sex marriage before that decision was made when he was vice president. Um, so I do think that's that's um, that's speaking to a base that he sure is going to come out and um, they have some confidence. The big D Democrats have some confidence around that. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. We're out of time, but it's been great to have you on and talk about the everything that's been de developing in New Hampshire and nationally. And we will pick this back up again next Tuesday. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Thank take you. care. Thank you.